Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, thank you for coming to our um, library talk. This is our eighth library talk. And uh, here we try and discuss some matters that revolve around academia or the student life in order to kind of peel back the curtains and, and look at the life of a scholar or the life of a student in order to help you become a better student. And so today we're talking about reading as a scholar. And since that's an important part of academia, um, reading and retaining that information, uh, we've decided to have Dr. Hammett, Dr. Whitfield, and Dr. Evans up here to talk about how they read and how they annotate books and how um, they retain the information that they read and how they take notes and things like that to help you uh, in your studies here at Southeastern. So first, let's go ahead and get started with introductions. Um, we have Dr. Jeremy Evans right next to me. He is the Associate Professor of Philosophy here at Southeastern. He earned his PhD from Texas A&M University. Second, we have Dr. Whitfield in the center. Um, he is the Assistant Professor of Systematic Theology and Vice President of Academic Administration. He earned his PhD from here at SCBTS. And then finally, we have Dr. John Hammett, who is the Senior Professor of Systematic Theology and Associate Dean of Theological Studies. He holds the John Leadley Dagg Chair of Systematic Theology at SEBTS, and he earned a DMIN here at SEBTS and his PhD from Southern. So, gentlemen, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to be here and talk with us about reading as a scholar. And so, the first question that I have for you is, since reading is so important in academia and everything else in life is important, how do you guys, how would you guys recommend these um, students uh, juggle their schedule? with reading and how do they make time for reading and maybe some strategies for that. And uh, we can start with you, Dr. Hammond, yeah. if you'd like and work our way down. Well, yeah, uh, I guess maybe this is probably the, the number one struggle is finding time, and not just time, but time when you're able to concentrate and think, because if it's late at night and your, your mind's about half gone, reading then will probably not be that, that profitable for you. Uh, so I could say maybe try to avoid meetings like this, <laughs> but that would probably be a good thing. So uh, just making a priority. Uh, just trying to find time for me that some of the best time for reading is when I'm traveling uh, on air, airplanes and airports and things like that. Uh, but just make it a priority. Saturday morning is a great time for me to read. Uh, not many more meetings on Saturday morning. So uh, for me, Saturday morning, anything before lunchtime is usually a good time to focus on doing some good, solid reading in two or three hours, blocks, things like that. Don't have kids watching uh, cartoons anymore. Uh, so those types of things. So, um, but the other th I guess the most important thing is making it a priority. You find time for its priority. Yeah, I, not a whole lot to add there. I mean, the reality is your students, uh, people like the guys you're looking at, assign you a whole lot of reading. Um, and you've got probably more of a reading demand now than you, you might ever have. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, it, it might not be that you have the luxury to carve out portions of your day. You may just have to read every time you have a chance to read. Um, and what I think what I would say right now as a student is realize that there's a cumulative effect to the educational enterprise. And so what you might not get in one class, it will come back around in some other form. Um, so, yeah, read well. Uh, do so with the times where you can focus the most. But also read what you've got to read. And sometimes that means you don't get to read the optimal time. But it's okay. It's going to come back around. Stay in the game. Work hard. And it'll hit you again. Yeah. And just to, because I, I largely agree, but, you know, I have uh, my responsibilities here, but I'm also a pastor and a, a husband and a father of four daughters. Uh, 
And so it's a little bit of a trick. I don't have optimal time. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Um, but what I do is I'm actually the last one asleep, and I'm also the first one awake in my home. And so I actually have an office in my house, and so as soon as I get up, I just beeline over into the office, and I, and I get on it. I try to start with a devotional, uh, you know, just to, to set the day off uh, in, in the right way and on the right trajectory. Whatever it is I'm doing, whether it's, it's studying, because I think all of us are engaged in writing projects. And, um, you know, so with that, there's the, you know, there's the rigor that, that goes part of that. But you want that to be devoted to the Lord as well, right? I mean, you're not writing for the sake of writing. So since I don't have optimal time, since I do have to watch cartoons, <laughs> I do want to have my time with my daughters. I'm a coach of a softball team. You get the idea. I read when I can. Here's another, here's another possibility for you as well. Um, audiobooks. You know, for those of you that have any kind of travel time, or if you know what I'm saying, use that time for something other than maybe just listening to the radio. Uh, I use it for a couple of things. One is to listen uh, to somebody else read. Make sure that they read well, by the way, because it's brutal if they don't. Uh, you'll be involved in an accident. Um, uh, but also time for prayer. I just shut everything off, and as I'm driving, with my eyes open, I pray. I think it's okay. <laughs> Okay, well, Dr. Hammett, you mentioned having time to uh, do concentrated reading or yeah. reading where you concentrate well. What are some ways that, that students can, uh, especially with all the demands and all the pressures on us, you know, there are things that enter into our minds as we're trying to read. What are some ways that we can uh, aid our concentrated reading? Well, I guess one thing I was thinking about when I mentioned is there's a book called How to Read a Book uh, by Mortimer Adler. Yeah. And that's about different types of reading, so different types of assignments. Different types of reading require different types of approaches. So uh, reading wisely and knowing what do I need to get out of this book now for an assignment, probably different than reading for pleasure and things like that, or even for a long-term growth and things like that. So I would commend that book in terms of having good reading strategies. Um, but beyond terms of just focusing, uh, again, uh, this is one place that I really like libraries. They're quiet, not a lot of distractions around, but also know yourself in terms of uh, just your own uh, rhythm of your own life in terms of what types of time are good for you to do different types of things. For me, I, I do administration in the afternoon. That's when uh, I'm not at peak. I can do my, my administrative stuff uh, not with as much uh, focus and concentration. Again, if you can know yourself, that helps a little bit. Now, again, as Jeremy and Keith said, there may not be optimal time for reading, but trying to find those times so you know yourself and when they seem to go better. Yeah, and I would just echo that. Know yourself. Um, I, I do something very similar to what uh, Dr. Evans does. Uh, I get up in the morning. Uh, I'm usually out of bed between 4.45 and 5. Uh, and I have a place in my house where I go and I, and I read. And, and the optimal time for me is from that 5 o'clock window to about 9 o'clock. And so I don't come in the office until 9 because of that. Because when I come to the office, guess what? There are people waiting for me. Um, and so I don't have, get a chance to get anything done. So I stay home those four hours, and that's when I... It's most optimal for me in terms of schedule. I don't have anybody else interrupting me at that, those four hours. And also intellectually and mental energy is the highest for me there. Some of you are night people. It takes you four hours to get going in the morning. But it's not going to be optimal for you. Uh, but for me, I wake up, I'm ready. Now, I slow down about 9.30 at night. Yeah, I don't. So <laughs> this, this goes in line with what you're saying. Yeah. You know, uh, you know my, my average, if you talk about sleep... Uh, I recommend you get it, but but I don't I don't sleep eight hours a night. Uh, you know I sleep maybe five ish, 
or so. So I'm still okay at, at 9 or 10 or 11 or usually even 12 o'clock at night. Um, but what I also have is an LED light. And so, uh, you know, I make sure that I guard that time with, with Wendy. That's my wife. I make sure that I have that time with my girls. Wendy goes to sleep before I do. I've still got gas in the tank when she's out of it. So what I do is I just pop that LED light over and I'm reading. She's crashed and burned. Uh, and it works because I know how I work. Yeah. And my body's not taking a hit because I feel like I'm having to push through anything. I, I'm still good. So even though I'm up and maybe I'm not in my office at 445, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, the only time I do that is I'm up that time to deer hunt or something. Right? But, uh, but at 6, I'm usually in. And then Lila, that's my youngest. She's going to come rolling into the office at about 7, ready for chocolate milk. So I've got about that hour uh, before the kid's going to come walking in. Uh, but I have that on the other side of the day at the end, and I'm, I'm still good. I'm still good for it. And so it's largely, I think, in agreement with what they're saying. I, I know how it work. Um, and so if you know that about yourself, then tailor your schedule around that as well. I've got beginning and the end time of the day. Everything in the middle uh, is, is going to be more difficult for me to work. Okay. Um, so we mentioned strategies for reading, like setting up uh, uh, I guess you by that I'm not sure what you guys mean necessarily. I might mean something different, but with your strategies based upon like coursework, like you've got three different courses, you know how much you should accomplish, you know each week to maintain the reading schedule. Um, what are some uh, strategies that you have, maybe that you use during your time as a student, or that you use now, or if you use strategies like that now, what do you do maybe differently or the same uh, from your times as a student? Well, I don't know if that makes I think sense. My, time, my, my approach now is differently than as a student, because as a student, I was reading for one thing, now I'm reading for different things. So I have different objectives, I'm sure how I'm looking at those types of things. Uh, for comprehension for an exam or a test and things like that, for a, comfort, for a course, a little bit different than, than doing a research project. A uh, research project, you start reading and you say, this is not really my topic, I can afford to kind of let this brush through this quickly. Here's something really important to, to slow down and really, really, really get this. And so discerning uh, what's important for me to read now, that's one of the biggest challenges now. What's important for me to read? And so I use a lot of uh, periodicals and book reviews. And if I, is this book important enough for me to be aware of, uh, to know, to digest? And so those are different levels of reading. And so uh, that was what we're now. More as a student, I think in terms of just, for me, I'm, I'm a very OCD type of guy. So I begin a semester. I look at all my assignments, all the papers and stuff, and plan it out. Uh, so I'm going to do this. I have this paper we done by this time, this paper by this time, and uh, have those things scheduled out. So, uh, again, some people work better under pressure. Some people work under, only under, under pressure. Uh, my son's a, a champion procrastinator. I, I can't live that way. Uh, so, again, knowing yourself. But I like to plan it all, all out in advance and have a plan. I think what Dr. Hammett said earlier is really is important. Uh, and hopefully your professor gives you this indication, uh, how are you going to be held accountable for the, for the assigned reading? Yeah. Uh, and if you have a sense of that, that'll let you know how you can read that book. Uh, if you're not going to be tested on the content, if it's a journal sort of assignment, or if it's, a, it's just a supplemental reading, that um, you, can, you can afford to take a Saturday afternoon and just plow through that book because the exposure of the content has got value in all by itself. If you're going to be held accountable for that reading on a test uh, and somebody's going to ask you what footnote 37 said, um, then you're going to have to dig into that a little bit more and right. with a little bit more attention. So having some sense of how you're going to be accountable for the, for the book and, and go ahead and give yourself the freedom to read books at different levels. And we talk about what that looks like, but 
you don't have to read everything at the same at the same level. Right. Uh, it is different for me now than it was, for example, when I was a doctoral student. I'm, I'm sure that you all remember. You know, I had to take comprehensive exams. I'm sure you probably remember comps. Uh, they are the bane of your existence when you have to do them, because the reading is on top of your seminars. So, at least at, at Texas A&M, I had to ask permission to take a comp at least a semester in advance of having taken it. And that was because when they actually gave the approval, say, yeah, we think that, that you're ready for this, they immediately also gave me a bibliography right then. And they're like, so go read all of that. And you say, well, that's fine. What's the scope of the exam? And the answer was, we can ask you whatever we want about anything on <laughs> in that bibliography. And it was seven pages. And I was like, this is insane. Uh, what I did, because I had to, uh, I actually tallied up the number of pages and divided it by six days, and I studied for six days, and I took a seventh day off. Uh, on Sundays, that was just not, it was not going to happen. Uh, but Monday through Saturday, it was on, at least up until the Texas A&M football game. And I took a break, <laughs> and then I would get back to it after the game was over with, right? Uh, but I, I actually knew the number of pages that I had to read, and not just, for example, for comps, but for all of my seminars. I tallied up the pages. I divided by day. And I did those that page that that page range for that day, and it made it very manageable for me. Yeah. Uh, and and I, again, I'm I had to organize my life, and I think for some of you, you're maybe feeling the same way because you know my wife had gone back to school, you know, and I didn't see that we were talking before we started. I didn't know that she was going to go back to school to to be a nurse. Well, okay, so then I worked two jobs, full time doctoral student, and then we also had one kid, right? Um, you have to. It forced me to be as organized as I could be with my time. And I think also on the flip side, I think if you really pay attention to how you're using your time, like I did, um, I was wasting a little bit more than I should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, does that seem fair? Yeah. I was wasting just a little bit more than I should have. So that was the way I did it. It was by page, by day, six days. And I never got overwhelmed. Even in the writing of my dissertation, I was, I was okay. Well, I'm not as OCD as these guys. <laughs> I've never counted the number of pages. I, I'm focused and in, sort of uh, committed and intense, and so I work a lot. But I've never counted pages. So just uh, so if you're not uh, wired that way, don't feel like you have to count pages. I said I had to. I didn't say I wanted to. I had to. All right. Well, actually, I do that too. Um, All right. Count so the I'm pages. the odd man out. Yeah. I never counted pages, but yeah. Okay. Um, all right, so you guys have mentioned uh, writing projects that, that differs in how you read. Um, what, how do, does that differ than uh, your normal re- reading within your discipline? Um, but when you're writing, uh, what, what strategies do you have uh, for a writing project, um, like a paper or an article or a book? I'll sit down here this time, you right. yeah. Oh, you want to start with me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, in terms of, in terms of research... I use I tend to go more articles than books, uh, so I would recommend you start there. And and here's why: uh, if you go to a peer-reviewed journal, and I'm highly recommending the peer-reviewed journal uh, approach. One is you're dealing with fewer pages. I mean, I hate to point out something obvious, but it's it's true. But since it's since it's gone through a process of peer review, you're getting the very best arguments reg- regarding what it is that you're researching in a condensed amount of space. One of the things that I noticed as I, as I developed my, my skill to research 
is there were a lot of things in books that Flack could have been left out, but I'm still having to devote a lot, a lot of time because it's in the book, if you know what I mean. So I started, I started going there first. And then I think Dr. Hammett pointed out, you know, going to book reviews yeah, yeah. to give you some idea. Here's the other benefit of, um, of going to, the, to journals first is peer-reviewed journals have abstracts on the front end of those things. And those abstracts will tip you off as to the scope of that article. Does that make sense? And so you know what it is that you're researching and what you're writing. And this may be a wonderful article to read another time because it's not germane to what it is that I'm trying to to research and develop right now. Great. So I'll make a mental note. I'll come back to that another time because I'm interested in it. It's just not helpful. So a little half paragraph Mm -hmm. is really important. And so I would say say start, start there. And then what you'll also see is use those footnotes to your advantage as well. Uh, so, for example, when I worked on the editorial board for Philosophia Christie, I remember asking a scholar to participate in a discussion on an issue uh, on, on, a, uh, on an issue that um, had been written by another person. Here's what he did. And it was very interesting. I said, would you be willing to respond to what he's argued here? And I gave him the full article. And he wrote back, no, I won't. And here's why. He said, I looked at his footnotes, and his footnotes weren't dealing with what you would consider to be the important research in the field. So then I went back, uh, because it had been given to me, if that makes sense as an editor, I went back to the person that wrote it, and I said, I think you might want to be rethinking this. Here's why. Articles are are a great way to go. They shorten your research time. They also pinpoint it better for you. Yeah, I would would affirm that. Uh, Disciplines are sort of different here. I mean, philosophy, theology, biblical studies, you've got to figure out where the conversation really is taking place, um, you know, and sometimes there's books that change the conversation. You got to make sure you don't miss that. Um, but articles are oftentimes at the front end of what's taking place in the scholarship and the research. Uh, so let me kind of take a different tack here. Uh, I think I may be on the panel because uh, I can let some of you who uh, don't have a really good, efficient plan just sort of rest because I don't. I'm very inefficient when I do this sort of thing. Um, I read everything three times. Uh, you're like, what? I don't have time to read it once. Well, uh, I, I, I read everything three times. And this is what I do. I spend one read through. I don't take a note. Um, I just read it. I'm trying to get my head around it, trying to orient myself to what the author, what the writer is saying, the arguments being made, and I, I just, I just read it. Um, then I go read everything else that I've collected, and I come back, and then I'm taking notes, and I'm taking notes in conversation with everything that I've read. I'm starting to jot down what I want to do. Then I write what I'm going to write, and I go back and read for a third time. Guess what? The third read doesn't take that long, but here's what I'm looking for in the third read. Did I really get it? Did I understand it? I've used a resource. I've said what an author has has said. Uh, I've used it either in favor of my argument or I've critiqued it, and I want to make sure I got it. So after I've processed everything, I've written on it. I go back and read it one more time. Maybe this is my OCD. Make sure that I understood what was taking place. I don't necessarily recommend that, uh, but I've found it. That's my that's my method. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I don't read read the things three times, uh, so you're maybe a little bit more thorough than I am. Uh, my practice, that what I want to try to encourage you is again read wisely and know what you need to read. So I look at books, I look at table of contents, I look at introductory chapter, I look at prologues. Where they say, here's what this book is about. I look at indexes and see what they're, what they're talking about. Uh, so you don't have enough time to read everything. 
So you have to be more selective and read the things. That now we're talking more about research for, for classes. You have a choice there. Okay? You're assigned stuff. When you have discretionary time to read things that you're interested in, you can't read everything, so you read wisely. And some books deserve a quick once-over, and some books deserve more time. And, but I found that I never read about looking at table of contents, I look at the first chapter. Usually first chapter, if it's really well written, we'll kind of sketch out what the book's about. And even though I need to read this chapter, this chapter, not this chapter. Uh, so be selective and wise in your reading uh, in terms of, of how I go about doing things. And beyond that, uh, I really like a physical book because I do mark it up along the way. I make notes at the end of every, every chapter. Here's the summarization of the argument in this chapter. So I just do that uh, in, in the actual physical book. I mean, with a library book, I don't do that. <laughs> Thank Lottery you. book, I make copies <laughs> of the important pages, okay? okay? Well, since you mentioned reading wisely on the topic, um, one of the things that I notice at working here in reference is that students, you know, they can type in a search term into a database, you know, let's say Christology or Augustine, and they can find tons of books on that, those subjects. What would be uh, a way that they can approach that subject more wisely and find uh, resources that will be most helpful for them? Uh, maybe we can start with Dr. Whitfield this time. If it's a, a more of an introductory level topic, research assignment, and maybe even a slightly more advanced, but let's say more introductory level, my encouragement is to go to a, a Bible encyclopedia or a dictionary or a theological. Go, go to a general overview sort of article on it so that you see the trees in, in, that are in the forest. You see, here are the big conversations. These things are usually six to 8,000 word essays. Uh, they also oftentimes have a short bibliography at the bottom that sort of tell you the, the key people who hold to certain positions, people who have helped on, um, sort of write on these, this, this topic. So they give you a starting bibliography right there. Uh, and then I usually go from that bibliography to go ahead and build a little bit more extensive bibliography. And I go find out who those folks have interacted with and who's interacted with their works. And so that's how I would begin to orient myself at a maybe a more introductory um, or even even a, maybe a, a, an MDiv elective sort of uh, research project. Yeah, so the, the, the source I was thinking when you mentioned Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. It goes A to Z and has a little short article on Augustine and then a little bibliography yeah. on the classic source of Augustine or different topics like that. So having some type of of uh, encyclopedia like that that gives you a brief intro, a short bibliography is helpful. But here again, this is a place where your professors can be resources for you. And they should know what are the major, if you're going to do something on Augustine, you know, here's how you need to read on this topic. I mean, they, they should have enough to point you at least in the right direction. So uh, we hope that we can be some resources for you there and point you at least some of the, the beginning sources. The problem with the, the dictionary type of thing is this data. Yeah. They don't have the most recent sources, and so hopefully your professors rip on that can give you some guidance on those things. Yeah, that was the main thing that I was going to say. You know, use use the opportunity that's available to you to develop a relationship with your professors, and then that will translate for you later, even when you're done. I do try to end my courses that way. Say so even though the class is over with, it doesn't mean our relationship is over with. And so if something comes up a little bit later on that that you're not even quite sure where to start, you know, find me. You know, pop me an email, give me a call, something like that. You know, let me help you out. Uh, so I would say, because we do this in community with each other, I would say make sure that you start there. Uh, you know, let, let the work that we've done do some work for you, right? So most, most definitely take that. Okay. Dr. Hammett, you mentioned that you uh, notate in books and yes. you um, 
you uh, summarize arguments. So let's talk a little bit about uh, strategies that you guys use for taking notes with with your reading, um, and you know how you maybe annotate your your books uh, if you have a methodology or not. Um, but uh, maybe we can start with with you since you mentioned it. Yeah. Well, again, I, I find that, that actually marking and writing just helps to get in my mind more as well. If I actually write down what this guy said, I'm, I force myself to summarize. What did this chapter say? If I force myself to actually write that down, it tends to stick in my memory more. And then beyond that, I do make uh, copies of, of key pages, and uh, I have a, a file. And again, I, I'm not uh, I'm not in the digital age yet. I'm still in the old old uh, dinosaur era, and so I have two files: Genesis to Revelation, A to Z. And I have, have one for all my biblical stuff, and one for all the topics and things like that. So if I'm working on a, a research project, I have some files devoted to it and different topics related to that, that subject. I'll make some copies of key pages and put it in there. My interaction with what I'm reading, I use underlining um, in order to sort of outline the lines of the argument. And so that's all I underline is where the argument is being developed or it pivots. Um, so I underline that and then I'll use brackets to deal with the, the argument, the substance of the argument. Here's where I think the argument, I mean, this is where he, he really has made the, the, the strongest case for whatever it is he's arguing at this part. So I'll use brackets to talk about the content of the argument and I'll underline to track the argument through that which I'm, I'm reading. So, um, and, I, I, and again, because I do it three times, I don't do that until the second time through. Yeah, one of the things that, that's that's coming out now in in the research, and I think it's going to help Dr. Hammett's point, is uh, writing helps you learn. It just flat helps you learn. So, and this is even true when you're in a class. So, if I'm free to say it, asking for, can I have your PowerPoint? Can I have your notes? Can I have your? You're actually taking away one of the ways that you learn the best, and that is by listening. Writing is tactile. You know, hopefully there's something with the engagement uh, that, that gives you application. But writing is one of the best ways that, that ingrains it uh, in your head. So I've taken that approach for years. And it's, I don't think it's because it's a dinosaur thing. I think it's because it flat works. It's one other way that it ingrains it in, into your head. Here's the other thing. This, this went for the guy that mentored me when I was in my, in my doctorate. Uh, he said, until you can write without the books, you don't know what you're talking about. And what he meant by that was don't go to the books and then, and then cite them because then I would have been guilty of plagiarism, wouldn't I? Uh, but what he meant was is just to have such a mastery over the material that I could just, I could just go. That's what he meant. Uh, and to communicate it in a way that is so clear that it demonstrates your mastery over the material. You know, a lot of times people have what looks like a prestige jargon using very advanced language. And really what it is is a gloss for they don't have a clue of what's happening. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, so that's what he was looking for for me. And I remember him in, 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 kind of couching it this way. He said, see if it passes the Wendy test. Now he knew my wife, right? So see if, if, if you can communicate it to her and then she goes, oh, I get it. Because we're talking about a, a person here that isn't reading all of this stuff. You're the one reading all this stuff. And so if it can pass that test, somebody with no exposure, if that makes any sense, no bad, and you can just say it, then it seems that you've mastered it. But for me to get there, I had to shorthand write it out, basically. I distilled it in very simple propositions for myself. Okay, well, you kind of answered my next question, which is how did you get to that mastery by 
you know, writing it out and uh, distilling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you guys? How would you go about gaining mastery of the material that you're writing on um, and that you're reading in order to write? Well, part of it is what Jeremy said. I think writing it down seems to help me. But the other thing is what Keith said, just uh, familiarizing yourself with it year after year after year. And again, we have an advantage. We're teaching these things multiple years. And so the longer you're familiar with the stuff, the better you, hopefully, the better you master it. Yeah. And so uh, I, I would affirm the writing process. I'm, I'm just maybe a little different. Um, I need to step back and think. And there's something that happens in the stilling in my brain, uh, the way I, I've thought about what I've read and in conversation with everything else that helps me and gives me a little bit more clarity. I have found for me, maybe I'm the only one in the room, but if I write too quickly, I end up just regurgitating what I read and I haven't processed it, I've got to step back and think. And so that's why I've forced this sort of multi-level uh, reading on myself because uh, that's what is that's what is, uh, useful for me. So that second level of reading where I'll mark the book and I'll, I'll take notes, that's where it's kind of I, I'm gaining mastery. And the third level of reading is just making sure that I got it right. Yeah. I actually do some, do something similar to, to Keith. Uh, I, re, I read things, and for those of you that have me in class, I've recommended this. I read three times. Uh, but I read it differently than, than you. The first time, I think we agree. I'm just trying to understand. I read with the, with the principle of charity. You know, I'm trying to understand what the person is trying to say and why they're trying to say it. Rather than the, at the first kind of hint of disagreement, you know, have chicken fried author, right? <laughs> uh, I try to read with the principle of, of charity. The second time that I would, I would go back through articles or whatever it is I was, I was researching was more or less to do what I was talking about before. Can I now distill the basic argument? Can I distill it? The basic argument, right? The big picture of what they wanted to say and the bullet points of how it is that they wanted to say it or how it is that they developed it. And then the third time I would go through, there were two things that I focused on. Uh, one is what concerns do I have with, with what I've read, whether they be biblical, whether they be um, philosophical. That was one. Or the other thing that I would focus on is, is there more that could be said than what was actually said? So maybe they're right but here are five other reasons that would, would strengthen what's happening here. That was, and that's obviously getting into more of the analytic aspect of, of, of what you're dealing with. And then the final thing I would throw out is we live in a community, right? So anything that I, was, I research and I write, um, I sent, so for example, I did a book on the problem of evil. I sent every chapter to five independent readers. And they weren't necessarily people that would agree with me. Most of them, in fact, wouldn't. Uh, I wasn't asking them to say, well, you know, I disagree with you. Well, good for you. I mean, this is my book to write. What I'm asking you is, is there something glaringly wrong here, whether it be stylistic, grammar, or just in the way that I've done it, the way that I've written it, lack of clarity, the argument stinks, just go for it, say it. And that was a way of, of me mastering the material is to have those outside eyes, if that makes any sense, or if I'm just researching as a doctoral student, how many of you actually did your work with other people? Not much. You didn't? No, not much. No, I didn't either. I, I, see, I did. <laughs> we, would, we would read. We actually would get together. There, were, there would be me and about three other guys. Uh, depending on the seminars that I was in, we would get together, and we, we worked through it together. I was, I was definitely better for having those guys around me. Let me come back to another thing that I do. I'm, I'm thinking back now more, uh, less my, my present role as professor when I was a student, 
Uh, I was again talking about taking footnote, taking notes on, on uh, three by five of course and things like that. I didn't do that, but I did take notes on, on the full size sheets of paper. And I would, I would shuffle those when I was doing a paper. So I would take this source to get all this stuff. Think, here's the important things in this book. Have those things written down or noted, you know, things like that. And then another book, the sources for that. So when you start putting your paper together, you're, you're incorporating all these sources. And so uh, nothing just in terms of reading wisely, just knowing uh, some stuff doesn't deserve a second and third read. <laughs> yeah. Other stuff does. Uh, so in terms of, of taking notes for papers, I did uh, actually write down... Uh, page 32, this sentence is really important. Page 50, this, this thing's important here. So things like that. So having those types of things. So when you put your paper together, yeah, you, you come back and, and you're, uh, you're going to have some time to think over all those things. And probably the thing that I think students probably lack most is simply time to think. Yeah. Simply sit down for a couple of hours and put all these things on the table and get, all, get the whole thing in my mind. For me, I, I, I need blocks of time to write because I've got to get the whole thing in my mind before I can begin to write. And uh, that's the most difficult thing. Well, I got that, though, was having all those things in front of me on, on pieces of paper, things like that. And I would agree with what Dr. Hammond said. Not everything requires three levels of reading. Um, so it's one thing I was going to say. I've made a, a decision. This is crucial to the research of what I'm writing on. Those things get three levels of reading. Um, and so I don't want you to walk away from here and thinking you have to read everything three times. Uh, there will be some things that you spend, there will be some books you'll spend 45 minutes with. And you know that's I've done what I need to do with that book. Um, some books you're gonna you're gonna in an afternoon you're gonna plow through it. You're gonna, you know I've done what I need to do with that book, um, and that's that's okay. And give yourself the freedom to do that. If I buy a book before I put it on my shelf, I spend 30 minutes with it. I want to know the table of contents. I want to know who they're interacting with. I want to figure out what's what's the contribution. I may not plan to read it immediately. But I, I thought it was valuable enough to buy it. I'm going to spend 30 minutes with it because I want to know what's in that book before I put it on the shelf. Uh, I'll just do this little plug for How to Read a Book, which Dr. Hammond already mentioned. Uh, that book actually discusses reading at different levels, skimming, looking at the table of contents like Dr. Woodfield talked about. Um, so if you want to know how to do this, that book, How to Read a Book, is actually a very good resource uh, for doing that. Um, so Dr. Hammett told us about how he uh, takes notes. Do you guys use pen and paper, or do you use um, Evernote or other uh, types of uh, software to take notes, or, or how do you take notes? I use a uh, word processor. Okay. Yeah. That's what I do. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have to be fancy. You can just use Word. I'm sure there's a better yeah. one. Yeah. But. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I actually do written notes in the book. Itself, uh, but as far as codifying it, I type it out. Part of that is because I'm dyslexic, so um, I, I <laughs> am I the only one up here that is. I think um, so. There is there are some extra challenges, you know, for me. That that definitely slows my pro, my my reading, my everything down. I have to be very careful. Well, um, what are you currently reading right now? Um, in your field that you're finding helpful or um, that you're reading for your research? Uh, Dr. Whitfield, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, currently, I'm working on a project on the Trinity and um, on Islam. And so I've got an introductory chapter on the Trinity project and a concluding chapter. So I'm reading um, for, for those two writing projects. And also, I'm editing a volume of Islam and I have a chapter in that book. And so I'm reading for the chapter I'm, I'm writing. Um, 
Also, um, there's some course prep stuff that I'm doing, teaching a theological method uh, class, so kind of getting ready for that. Mm-hmm. And have another course, a new course in the spring, so I'm, I'm, I'm reading that. So that's consuming most of my reading. I have other books on the stack. Those aren't being read right now. Yeah. Dr. Yeah, I'm reading a, my, my two areas of specialization are theological anthropology and ecclesiology. So I do most of my reading in those two areas. Now, again, I, I will dip into other really significant books in other areas, but those are my two major focal points. So there's a guy named Mark Cortez that's written several books on theological anthropology. I'm working through his stuff right now. And the book called Alone in the World, Human Uniqueness. And I came across it's an interesting book on, on theological anthropology. Then for ecclesiology... Jonathan Lehman's written tons of stuff for Nine Marks and Greg Allison. Uh, so, and those guys on, on Ecclesiology. Yeah, um, there are several things I'm reading. Um, I'm reading uh, several commentaries on the Psalms right now. and um, I'm reading, uh, uh, rereading an anthology that was done some years ago by Francis Beckwith called Do the Right Thing. And it's essays on uh, social and political the- applied ethics and social and political theory. Uh, you know, right now I'm focusing actually on the on the section on pornography and censorship. Mm-hmm. We are in an election year, um, and we do have these questions about the role of government, uh, the size of it, the scope of it, their obligations, um, and so so I'm focusing on applied ethics and, and social and political theory in uh, some of my reading. I have, I'm going back to that book um, um, right now. Uh, I'm also reading Scott McKnight. He has a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of cranking through through uh, through that as well. Okay. And I'm writing a book with Greg Welty on uh, philosophical theology, so dabbling there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that what you've heard here um, in this library talk is it was beneficial to you, um, seeing that uh, people who already hold PhDs and are scholars do some of the same things that uh, you'll need to do in classes and maybe even have struggles that you have uh, in your research and in your studies as well. So I hope that's been beneficial to you. It's not that these, no offense gentlemen, but they're you know brilliant geniuses who naturally get this stuff on one read. They have to work at mastering the material. And uh, so thank you, gentlemen, for spending some time with us today to, uh, to learn how you handle uh, reading and reading in order to write and also how you master the material. So let's give them a round of applause for that. And now we have about 20 minutes where I want to open the floor up to you guys to be able to ask these guys questions. Um, so if anybody has any questions, we'll, we'll fill those now. Yes? Yeah, what do you uh, think about speed reading? Speed reading doesn't work. It works as a work for deep content like theological or philosophical books. Can you speed read so speed reading, what do we think about it? I've tried it a little bit, and like I said, for some books, I think it's uh, sufficient. If I know that I'm not trying to get every single point in this book, but I want to know basically his message, uh, I can, can, I've never taken courses on speed reading, but uh, I, I will just force my stuff to move through it more rapidly. Uh, but for mastery, I, I don't think speed reading doesn't work for me. Yeah, um, I think I would say basically the same, same thing. Uh, one thing you will you'll learn if you haven't already figured it out that the more you know about a topic, the quicker you can read on that topic. So there's a there's a your pace of reading will just increase the more you understand what you're reading on. Um, 
I think the other thing with speed reading, and some of you are just more naturally this than others, but if, if your eyes focus on each word and not on phrases and half sentences, um, you know, if you can do that, you can pick up the pace a little bit. Um, my reading goes this way, um, and this is just my peculiar little way. My first read is a fairly quick read when I'm reading through something because I'm trying to figure out forest and trees. That's, that's the question for me. What's the forest look like in this particular thing that I'm reading? What are the trees? And I'm just trying to figure this out. So I'm reading fairly quickly for that. My second reading is a slower reading. Um, and my third reading is a little bit faster reading because I'm going back just to more of a confirmation that I, that I got it. So uh, I, think it, I think the question about speed reading is at what level are you reading it and what's your expectations here? Um, so I think there's some skills that you can learn. I think the more you know about the topic, you can read faster, and you've got to ask the question, what do I expect to get out of this book? And if you expect to get more out of it, you're going to read, read slower. Um, yeah, speed reading um, is not an option for me. So, you know, when you do deal with dyslexia, it's, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> so I've had to go at it a, a different way, right? Uh, you know, if I try to speed up my, my process, it's going to mess everything up because not only am I dyslexic, also my eyes don't focus the way that others do. So my eyes focus like that. They don't converge. So if a book is open... I can actually have words from this page and this page coming in, if that makes sense. And I can. And the problem is, is it, it is at times added words to sentences that were not there. I, I don't have that option, so I have to read in a totally different way. Okay. Uh, Nate, because you can't read everything, everyone can. When do you choose to read books outside of your specialization, and why do you choose those those types of books? Dr. Whitfield, you yeah. Um, well, I mean, I mean, I'm probably not the best person. I was a pastor ten years before being a professor, and I still feel a bit like a generalist. Um, so I'm probably not the right person here. It, um, I certainly, when I'm reading generally, I, I read a little faster without, with not the same expectation of, of mastery. Um, but uh, I, I have a fairly steady diet of generalist sort of things that I read. Um, I think that's that's kind of who I am, and so. I may not be the best person to answer it. Well, well both of us, we, if you teach a, the, the basic theology courses, you've got to have some type of idea of what's going on in about nine or ten basic categories of doctrine. So you've got to do some, some wide reading. And so there's some books that come out, everybody's making big noise about them. You've got to, you, so you've got to keep up with those types of things. Again, book reviews can help there. Maybe this book I don't need to read, this book I do need to read, so some of those things like that. Beyond that, for me, uh, reading is also one of my hobbies. So I read completely uh, non-theological stuff. I, I love to read biographies and mysteries. Uh, I've just got recently a book on, on Karl Marx, biography of Karl Marx, and mysteries like uh, John Grisham and Dick Francis and those guys. So uh, those things, I find that when I read those things, it kind of keeps my mind fresh. I don't read theology all the time. So. That's what I was going to say. Uh, you know, take a break. Just make sure you have leisure reading. Yeah. You know, um, but I'm in, I'm in large agreement yeah. with with you all, and of course for me, because I am I am still pastoring. I, you know, a lot of things that I'm reading that are independent of what I'm doing here yeah. are geared toward you know sermon preparation or or something like that, or something that will aid me in helping people. Uh, you know, because new books are being written on on counseling and things like that, and so I have to be kind of up to speed in a, in a lot of areas that are more generalized for sure. Yeah. But 
you know, it's going to, in, in that sense, help, help, help me help those folks. So. And what I would add there is that you've got to figure out where you are in life. You might be in a place in life where you can read what you've been assigned and that's it. And guess what? That season will end one day. You may be in a place in life where you're a doctoral student and your focus is on that topic and that's about all you've got bandwidth for. That's great. There'll be a day where you can expand out. So you just got to know where you are in life. You can't do everything at every season. That's right. Yes. How do you do it with vocabulary when you're reading? You come across a difficult vocabulary, how do you handle that? Do you just yeah, when you come across difficult vocabulary. Well, uh, I, I hate to say I'm largely past that, but I'm largely past that yeah. just from exposure, you know, from reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. Uh, but on the front end, um, I had to have a philosophical dictionary. Um, that uh, Robert Audi has one that's about like yay big uh, that was, was an enormous help to me. Uh, I, I think we were all largely in that boat. You, you, you run across terms and you're like, what in the world? I mean, wasn't there another way to say it? Uh, and the answer was yes, but when you're writing to an academic audience, you write to them. Right? So that, yeah. that's largely how I dealt with it. Uh, you, you can use resources like Dr. Evans has mentioned. Uh, you can focus on context and see if you can get it, mm -hmm. you know. Or you can make the judicious decision, that, hey, this was a strange word in this context, but it really doesn't affect my overall understanding of it. I'm moving on for today. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say that, that for me it was mostly context. You just kind of get the word. You, you, you see it in different contexts. You see, see how it's used, things like that. But, yeah, again, don't let it stop you from reading in. If the, the guy's writing well... His meaning should come clear, and that particular word shouldn't hold you up. Maybe once in a while I've gone to a dictionary or something like that, but most time context should get it for you. Okay, uh, we'll go here and then David. Mm -hmm. For me, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, like I'm this guy who's learning how to like to read, and when I'm reading a book, it's like it's hard for me to concentrate. And um, like, how will you? Do you advise that I keep on reading until I concentrate or just take a break and then come back later and, and read it again until I'm ready to understand? My, my advice, um, jumping in here, would be find out when you're intellectually most, uh, most awake. Um, so when, when is the strongest part of the day? Make sure you use those days, that, that part of the day to, to read. My other advice is to find things that you're really interested in um, and read those things. And so you're, you're building some reading skills and a reading muscle when you're doing that. You're, it's, it's stuff that you're already really, really interested in. So there may be a sense of the discipline of just reading and uh, being able to process as you go that uh, if some things you're really interested in, it will help you with that. Um, and then the, uh, the other thing I would say is uh, sometimes I think we shoot ourselves in the foot by trying to read too slowly, focus on every sentence, do I understand that, um, and we wear ourselves down by that. Um, now, you've got to read slow enough to get what you're getting, but sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot by slowing it down so much that we're almost putting our brains to sleep because of the, what, we're, what we're doing. See if you can get in the flow of what the author is writing and saying 
and sort of enjoy that process of being in conversation with the author. And you've got to figure out how, how hard to push the pedal uh, to get in that flow. But it might be that you need to build some, some skills and what I'd say is find something you really enjoy reading uh, on and a topic you like and read it and try to, try to build some skills. Uh, from all that Keith said beyond that, uh, I know that right now you don't always have choice in terms of what you have to read. Yeah. It may not be something that you're interested in, uh, but some professor thinks this is valuable for you. Uh, so uh, part of this is just discipline of realizing God has put me here in this class. I'm here by the will of God, and therefore it's God's will I read this stuff. So God help me. <laughs> uh, so just discipline yourself to go ahead and say, this is, you know, I'm going to do this as an act of worship to God. I'm going to force myself to, to read this stuff to the glory of God. He's put me here for those types of things. And so especially in classes that you have to take that you don't really, not really thrilled by, uh, there's such a thing as simply a matter of, of obedience and discipline. Yeah, I would largely agree. I, you know, for for me, it was also t time. So um, I didn't try to sit down initially when I really started to care. By the way, <laughs> about learning. And so let's throw that in there. When I actually really started to care, I did not have skills developed. Yeah. Frankly, the ability to sit down and read for three hours that was not going to happen. So what I did do was I would sit down and I would read for about thirty minutes, and then I would take a break. You know, sometimes go watch Seinfeld, you know, and then go seriously. I mean, I went, I'd go watch Seinfeld, you know, and then, and then I'd go back. I'd read another 30, 45 minutes, and then I'd take a break, maybe, you know, visit with, you know, my roommate in college, and then I'd go back and I'd read another 30, 45 minutes. And, and that slowly, what I found was in my, especially like going into my second year of what I call the year of caring, uh, of the time of caring. Uh, I found myself reading for two hours, and it just was not phasing me anymore. Okay. Uh, so I think that's a, a kind of a large yeah. of what Keith, Keith was yeah, saying. I think it's really wise. So I read 30 to 45 minutes spurts, and then I'm, then I'm watching a show. Mm -hmm. yeah. Chilling. Normally I don't jump in here, but I've, I've had a lot of students who have expressed that same uh, problem. And uh, one of the things that I've had a student recommend to me that I've recommended to other students that they found helpful is something called the Pomodoro Method. Uh, you can actually find a Wikipedia article on it, but it's 25 minutes of concentrated work, five minutes off where you don't do anything, don't get on Facebook, don't get on anything text-based. Come back, work for 25 minutes, and then take a five-minute break. And you do that, uh, that 25 minutes and five minutes for four, four times, and then uh, come in and uh, you take a 30-minute break, I think, is what it does after that. And so that just kind of helps you build that muscle that Dr. Whitfield was talking about. And so that's a helpful uh, tool that I've passed on to some people. Cool. Uh, Pomodoro, so uh, Italian for tomato. Because <laughs> they, they sell these little tomato timers you can, if you want to get all into that, or a simple phone will work with a timer. Uh, I was going to say, yeah. or. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, there, there may be this myth in the room that uh, some people have this unending intellectual energy, and they can just go for hours and hours and hours, and I'm just not one of those people. Guess what? Those some people is a very small part of the population. <laughs> Uh, most of us have, we need to recharge, we need breaks, um, so this sort of method really helps. Um, so don't think you're like, you got to short end of the stick. Guess what, you're with the rest of the population of the, America, of the, of the world. All right. right, David, your question. You men mentioned being in the pastorate as well. Do your methods and tactics change from being like a month or two research to, to where you're doing two or three sermons every week ongoing? 
do your methods change when you're doing sermons? Was that? Yes, like sermon prep. Do you, do you, do you still mark the books the same way? Do you, do, you, do you only read part of the commentary? Like if you're going to preach through Matthew, do you read chapter 1 that week? Or do you try to go through the whole commentary once or twice to get the feel of the whole book? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. For me, sermon prep is totally different than a research paper. Yeah. A different type of, of audience, different type of expectations. So my reading is totally different for a sermon as opposed to a research paper. So if if I planned a series on so the, you said the book of Matthew, I'm planning a series on the book of Matthew. Um, before I do the series, before I start the series, maybe three or four months out, I'm, I'm going to read that Matthew a bunch. Um, I'm going to read some stuff on Matthew. Maybe maybe I will read a commentary through. Um, read some stuff on Matthew. Just just trying to orient myself to it. Um, and I was never one that had my sermon done a week before. <laughs> I was always in the week. Um, that's just, it just worked for me. I mean, it's just, and I, you know, some folks have, makes them very nervous, but it always it worked for me. And so there was some work prior to the week, obviously, in terms of preparation. Mm-hmm. But then when you get into the week, you know, you're, I'm, I, I agree with Dr. Hammett, it's just a different process. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you, but you're reading and reflecting and researching, um, jotting notes along the way. You, I mean, I, I found uh, I'd read a little bit. I'd go walk around the church, and usually that's when the outline for the sermon popped in my head when I was out walking around. But yeah, it is it is different, um, and I, I think you know for us, you know what we try to do is to have kind of a unified service. Everything that we're doing. There's always a lot more that you can communicate than, in fact, you do in a sermon. So let's just throw that out there. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's the prep, and then there's the delivery, if that makes sense. You know, because if you're in the church that I, I pastor, we have, um, we have children that are six, and our oldest is 102. <laughs> That's quite an audience to reach. We're a genuinely intergenerational church, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, but I also have a staff that I work with. And if we're going to have a unified kind of drive at home, it's, you know what I'm saying? Uh, our worship leader, I work with, with Melody. Uh, you know, I'm going, from, I'm going from the Ten Commandments, which I'm doing right now, to the Sermon on the Mount. Next, she has had the outline for each week of the Sermon on the Mount now for a month. Because I went through it, I read it, I read it, I read it, I read it, I broke it down. And then I said, big, big, big picture, this is what I'll be focusing on. And then the week of it, I developed that out. The week that I deliver it, I, I developed that out. I don't do nearly as much research for a sermon as I do for a research paper. Mm-hmm. And the sermon, I'm focusing on the text itself and trying to d- dig into it. So. Now, I guess some tools help you dig into the text, but sure. research is very different. That's right. Yeah. All right. We have time for one more question. So you... So when you guys do select a book for personal reading, do you guys <clears throat> group them in uh, books that are alike? I had a pastor telling me that you should, you know, schedule out your year on, you know, what books you want to read, what themes you want to find out more. So do you guys um, like group certain books together, or you just read, you know, whatever you get the best personal recommendation or the best book review, and kind of just in a uh, fumbled order. I guess, it, it, at least for, for me now as a professor, I have certain int- areas of interest. And, and again, you can't be an expert on everything. And so for an academic, you want to pick one or two areas you want to read pretty thoroughly on and keep up on. Other things you'll be less familiar with. Uh, but in terms of reading my, my reading and, and uh, planning my reading for a year, 
I'm pretty OCD, but I'm not that far. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it depends on how much time you have, season of life, other demands upon your time, things like that. Uh, I, like a, I think I have a whole shelf of book here that I'd like to read, but how much I get to this year is another question. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I have one or two areas. I, I try to group my areas in ecclesiology, theology, anthropology, maybe some other areas secondarily, um, but a smatter of things across the board as well, but uh, not particularly grouping those things in, in that particular order. Fumbled order sounds really familiar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there we we get we get catalogs from publishers. These books are coming out. We look, you know, we go through them. Things that are our specialization. Uh, I, you know, I make notes of those. They come out. If it's really significant, I try to grab it and I put it on the on the on the list to read and try to get after that. So I'm sort of following what's coming out in that respect uh, in terms of just ongoing reading. And then there's Conversations that are happening on the seminary campus. Conversations are going on on blogs. There's conversations going on in a culture. Think something gets my interest and my attention. Um, I'll grab a book and I'll you know I'll read it. Um, and those books are I don't feel a high level of accountability for those books. You know um, I'm I'm building general knowledge there, so I may get halfway through a book. I got what I need out of this one, and it goes on the shelf. You know, um, but so I kind of let. The conversations around me influence what I end up doing, or somebody says that was a really good book. Well, you know, go grab it. Yeah, I'm in large agreement. There's one other thing that I would factor in. Sometimes there there are social issues that arise that require immediate attention, and so you know you think about how long have we been dialoguing about the transgender issue? Yeah. Really, all things being equal, not very. Yeah. Right. Did it, did it require us to maybe stop and, you know, be Peyton Manning and call the audible at the line from something that you're working on? And the answer is, yeah, it very likely works like that, especially, especially if you pastor a church. Because people out there are going, hey, how am I supposed to think about that? What? You're not going to sit there and go, you know, look, I'm tied up because I've calendared my year. And so how about next May? Well, that you know, will that work? Because they're like, not really, <laughs> not at all. What's the matter with you? So sometimes you do have to kind of call that that audible, if that makes sense, and to say, all right, I'm going to put this down because I can. I'm going to come back to that, and I'm going to I'm going to dig in. I'm going to dig into some other things. 